Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. You can come back to your seats. We uh, Fellowship is one of those things that God tells us to do. It's an act of worship, is to fellowship with one another. And so we like to take time to do that every Sunday and just say, hey, welcome one another, get to know one another. And so that's, a lot of churches maybe don't do that in the middle, like they have a rhythm they're trying to keep. That's not us. We just want to be real and have you be a part. And so we're glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, you could turn to 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be for the next, well, for the rest of the fall. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, we also, if you go on our website, you can click the QR code that's back on there and you can find the notes that are there. It'll take you to the, to the slides and the service order. Um, but 2 Corinthians is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. It's actually his third letter to the Corinthian church. We only have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but when you read 2nd Corinthians, Paul refers to another letter that we don't have. For some reason, God said, I don't want that one, so we don't have it. And so, but we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Paul is writing this third letter to the Corinthian church. And the reason he's writing this letter, as you'll see in a minute, is specifically because he wants them to understand the God of all comfort. He says it. You'll see it in the first couple of sentences. He says, I want you to understand the God that desires to bring you his comfort. Now, it's not the comfort you want. It's not the comfort of you sit on the couch, mom and dad bring you Cheetos, and you're watching your favorite football game. That is not the comfort God is speaking of. The word that Paul uses is actually the word periklesis in the Greek. That is the same word Jesus uses when he describes the Holy Spirit who is the paraclete, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that when you come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, comes into the believer's heart to change us from the inside out instead of the outside in. All other religions are about changing the outside and it changes you. Christianity is the only religion that says, no, God has to come inside of you and he can't come inside of you if it's all dirty and nasty. So Jesus has to pay the price for the dirty and nastiness of your life. Jesus cleans that out so that he can fill you with the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And this idea of comfort, the definition of paraclesis is not this idea of we're laying on the ground and God just comes and comforts us. It's the idea of walking alongside, encouraging the next step. That's what the word means. So when Paul says the God of all comfort, it's a God that says, look, I love you enough to tell you to get up and walk with me. That we've got something to accomplish together. I want to do something through you that it's not about you just laying around feeling miserable and I come and comfort you and bring you soup. There is a time for that. But in this instance, Paul's saying, look, I'm coming alongside you. And that picture of God holding the hand of a child and saying, come on, follow me. We can do this. You can do this. Get up. You'll be okay. That is exactly what Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians to this Corinthian church is all about. That he's trying to get them to see, I want to come alongside of you to encourage you in what I have for you. Many of you are college students right? You've come to college. It's a little scary. It's like, what am I doing? Right? God wants you to know that he is the God of all comfort. He is the God of coming alongside. But here's the deal. When God comes alongside, 
If you really want him to come alongside you, he'll do it, but he'll probably steer you in different directions that you desire right now. He will probably begin to take you in ways and ask you to go through places that you don't want to go through and struggles you don't want to go through, which is why this morning, the title of our sermon is The God of All Comfort in All Our Affliction. And the word affliction there in the Greek means pressure. In all of our pressures. How many of you have felt that in the last several months of the pressure of college and paying for it? Is pre Paul is like, yeah, I'm writing this letter for you. I'm writing 2 Corinthians for those of us who feel the pressure of life. This church that's feeling the pressure of the Corinthian culture. And Corinth, Bloomington couldn't be more like any other city in the New Testament than Corinth. Very similar in terms of mentalities, in terms of the deities and idols and the things that are there. Very similar when you look at things. And Paul's like, hey, I want to encourage you with the God of all comfort. And I want you to know that you're going to have pressure. You're going to have that pressure and that affliction. But I don't want you to just ignore it. And I don't want you to just accept it. I want to put my arm, I want to grab your hand, and I want us to walk through it. And that is a huge thing. Because here's the deal. You have a choice as a college student. The people that come into our town for college, whether it's undergrad, graduate school, you have a choice. You can either... Choose to take a dive in your relationship with God and decide, you know what? I'm finally away from having to go to church. I'm finally away from having to do all that Christian stuff. I'm just going to take a dive. You can choose to try to survive, which is this idea of, I'm just going to try to make it through the next four years spiritually and hope I don't like become a terrible, hor horrible person. But God's desire for you is to thrive while you're here. His desire for you that we'll see in a moment is for you to become something and someone you never thought you could be in him. I'm not talking about your degree you get. I'm not talking about the amount of money you make. I'm talking about someone who is radically different because Jesus has a hold of their life. Dive, survive, or thrive. It's your choice and it starts now. When we sent our kids off to college, I took my son, our last, our youngest, to college this past Friday. He's at Indiana Wesleyan University here in, uh, in Indiana. And we dropped him off. He's there early because he's going to be an RA and try to work with reaching guys in his dorm. You'd think at a Christian college, they're all believers. They're not. They're just as lost as they are at Bloomington. And so we took my son early. But the thing that I told my kids whenever they went to college is, is I said, look, if you want mom and dad's comfort, if you want mom and dad to come alongside you, we will do everything we can. I have worked multiple jobs. I was bivocational. In other words, two jobs as a pastor up until this past May. We will do everything we can as parents to help you get through college, to help you on God's mission and where he's calling you in your life. We'll do everything we can, but here are the three rules we have for you. Now, I want you to think if your parents or if you heard a parent talking to you, don't say it out loud. And those of you who are in our church, you've heard me say this before, but what do you think the three rules you would hear from your parents or from another parent would be if you go to college? And I just want you to think about that. Here's my three rules. Number one, you have to be a member of a local church when you go to college. Number two, you have to be a part of a small group Bible study. And number three, you have to have a spiritual mentor in your life. And we told our kids, if those three things aren't met, 
we're done paying bills. You're on your own. I don't care if you get C's. I don't care what you major in. I mean, I hope we'll talk about that. I hope you'll trust me enough to talk about your major. I hope you won't get C's. I hope you'll do better than that if you can. But I really don't care about you going off and getting an education because you can do that online. What I care about is you being a missionary to a campus, making Christ known and living your life for him. And if those three things aren't met, mom and dad are done paying the bills. One of our kids challenged us on that and it happened. We stopped paying the bills. You're on your own. We're done. And it was very hard. See, we're serious at FX Church about trying to help people discover the true God of the universe. Because we understand the real pressures that people face in life. And if they don't know the word of God, and if they don't know him, they're all going to take a dive. And God says, man, I want you to thrive in the world for me in my name. And I want you to understand that I am actually going to take you into pressures on purpose, which we'll see this morning. Let me pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the folks that are here to hear it this morning. I pray that you would change us, even me this morning as I'm preaching. Lord, I pray that you'd show us new things. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Okay, let's dive in. First Corinthians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to God's church at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts out most of his letters this way, right? He starts out most of his letters like, hey, it's really me writing this is not spam. This is really me. Okay, that's literally. And then he has it hand delivered by someone that they know, the church would know, because that's what they did. They, they go and they, so they've got, a, they've got a fact checker that says, yes, this is Paul's letter that brings it to the church, just like we have fact checkers. You know, is this really a real email or not? Same thing. And in, the, in 1 Corinthians, when he writes the first letter, his apostleship is being challenged. People are saying, well, yeah, 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 there's the church in Jerusalem with Peter, James, and John, and Nathan, you know, all the original apostles. But then there's this Paul guy. He's not a real apostle. And remember, what an apostle is, is it's someone who saw Jesus face to face. It's someone who actually saw Jesus in his bodily form. That is an apostle. And it's someone who is called to write scripture. That's the definition of apostle. Now, there's a lot of churches today that talk about having apostles in their church or apostolic ministry. It's one thing to talk about being apostolic, the idea that I'm called to go out and like spread the gospel and do new things in new areas because that's what the apostles did. But there are no apostles left because there's no eyewitnesses of Jesus left. And Paul was an eyewitness of Jesus Maybe not with Peter, James, and John in them. We're not sure about that. But Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and blinded him. And Paul had a face-to-face -face experience with Jesus himself. Probably none of you in this room have had that experience. Probably most of the Christians you know have never had a literal Jesus walks in the room, I can touch him, he touches me experience. They may have had a dream or a vision or something like that, but like actual Jesus says, hello, I'm Jesus, which is what he did with Paul. And Paul's like, wow, okay? 
So that's who Paul is. And Paul has to write this because the number one thing that we love to do when we don't want to listen to something is challenge authority. You don't want to listen to your mom and dad? I'm not listening to you. You're not my boss. Who you think you are? Well, I'm your mom and dad. That's who I am, right? Like we love to just challenge authority. We love to read the word and go, I don't know about that. I'm going to try to find a verse that says a different than that because I don't really like what that said, right? That's our heart motive. Paul knows that. And so Paul is saying, look, this is for me. I am an apostle and you need to listen. And he says, look, I'm not an apostle on my own. I didn't declare my own apostleship. I didn't ask the church to declare me an apostle. I was riding a donkey and Jesus appeared to me, knocked me off my horse and said, you're going to do what I tell you to do. I was blinded and had to wait for him to make me see again. I didn't want this ministry, but here I am. That's literally what happened to Paul, and he reminds them of that. He's like, this wasn't my will be done. I was going off to kill Christians, Paul says, and Jesus said, you're not doing your will, you're doing mine, and, and radically transformed his life. Listen, Jesus may not appear to you physically, but he has a ministry for you, and he wants to knock you off your horse a little bit so that you can see the truth of who he really is. He goes on and says this, and Timothy, our brother, he's like, and also Timothy, because they were challenging Timothy's ministry as well. Because if you challenge Paul, you say, well, we'll listen to Paul, but not Timothy. And Paul's like, Timothy's always with me. He's not going to say anything I didn't tell him to say. Then it goes on and it says, look at who he says, to God's church at Corinth. He doesn't say to the church I planted, to my church. He's like, no, to the church that's in Corinth, to the believers that are there. And then he clarifies it. He calls a specific local church, the Corinthian church, that was a very specific local church in that place. So to this local church. And then he says, this letter's not just for a specific local church in Corinth. He says it's for all the saints throughout all of Acacia. This letter needs to be shown and spoken. So in other words, this is scripture. I'm not talking to just one church. This is for everybody to hear. And then he says, I love this. He starts his letter with, before I say anything else, before I give you some challenges, before I give you some hard teachings, remember that this is all about grace and peace. This is all about what Jesus did that we couldn't do on our own. That there is the mercy of God that's over our world, but grace only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is an unmerited favor of salvation and Jesus, a relationship with him that you cannot earn, that you don't deserve. You don't. You know you don't. And yet Jesus says, I'll die for you. And so he says, grace. And then if you truly understand grace, then God says, there will be a supernatural peace that will allow you to walk with me in the midst of the pressure and the affliction of life. It's grace and peace. See, there's a lot of people who claim grace, but you look at their life and there's no peace. And there's a lot of people who claim peace, but, they, but then they don't know Jesus. And so they don't have grace in heaven. Paul's like, you gotta have both. And they both come how? Look at what he says. From God our Father, so he's declaring the Trinity, Father, Son, later Holy Spirit, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who are new, you've probably never heard this before, but we talk about it all the time. 
When Paul says Lord Jesus Christ or Peter or James or Jude or any of the books of the Bible say Lord Jesus Christ, that is not Mr. Jesus, last name Christ. Okay? It literally is Paul saying, and you need to understand this because this is huge. Don't miss this. If you, don't, if you never come back to our church, I pray you take this with you. Okay? He is saying the word Lord there is Yahweh. He is saying, this comes from God the Father and from Yahweh, calling Jesus God. Yahweh is the name of God from the Old Testament. Lord is Yahweh. Jesus is Yeshua, and it means Yahweh saves. Paul says, this grace and peace comes from Yahweh, who is Yahweh who saves, who is Christ. Christ is Messiah in the Jew, or in the Jewish language. So it is Yahweh who is Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah and only Savior of the world. Whenever you see that name, I hope you never see see it the same again. Paul is literally declaring that all of the Bible, Old Testament, New, all the stories, everything is about God the Father putting all the glory on Jesus himself. And Jesus is the Yahweh, the Yahweh who saves, and the Messiah that we get the privilege to hold our hand and walk with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to tell that message to the world, which is what Paul is doing, because we understand that they're under pressure. They're under affliction. Look at what Peter says about Paul and his apostleship. Peter in 2 Peter 3.14, Peter, one of the original apostles says, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, in other words, you wait for heaven, you wait for Jesus to come back, you wait for God to do what he said he was going to do, make every effort to be found at peace with him, with God, without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. Peter had a hard time understanding Paul. So if you have a hard time understanding the New Testament in Paul, you're with Peter. Peter's like, yeah, Paul writes some crazy stuff. Like he's, he's, it's scripture and it's biblical, but man, is it hard to understand. Well, welcome to the, I mean, Peter, we led the church. He's like, yep, hard to understand. Then he goes on and he says, I love this. He speaks about these things in all his letters that are hard to understand. However, the untaught and unstable twist those things to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of scriptures. See, our tendency is to want to find a Bible verse and use it for us. Here's why I know that. I used to teach youth camp for years. Stopped doing it just a few years ago. And and I typically teach juniors and seniors getting ready to go into college because I've been in college ministry my whole life. I love students. I love being around this generation and what it can do as we send it out across the globe. It's my passion. And so I would go to camp to get them ready for college to say, hey, you don't have to like go to college and think you're going to lose your faith. You can thrive. I came to faith in October of my freshman year in college. Someone just sat down and shared the gospel with me from a gospel track, walked me through it, and it changed my life. I came to know Jesus in the lobby of my dorm, and that was it for me. My life was transformed. It was the craziest thing. It was awesome. And I've not looked back since. And so I have a passion for that. But here's what I find. 
I know that you guys don't know how to do this well because when I would teach at youth camps and we'd ask them to have a quiet time at youth camp, a time to read their Bible, I would always ask this question, how many of you know that you should read your Bible and have a quiet time? And every single kid, almost the whole camp in the room would raise their hand. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I need to. And then I would say, how many of you have ever been taught how to read your Bible to know God deeply? And every time I'd have like one or two kids raise their hands and almost always they were either my kids or a pastor's kid. And it broke my heart. See, most of you have been taught to read your Bible, not like Paul begins his letter and not like Peter does here. You've been taught to read your Bible for application. What's in it for me? And God says, I want you to read this word so you can see what's in it for us, our relationship that we have. That I literally want to meet you. I want to show you who I am. And I want you to show others who I am. And I want it to transform everything about you. So we always tell people, when you read your Bible, there's four questions. Ask the first question is, what does this passage of Scripture tell me about the character and person and heart of God? First question. Second question, God writes the Bible for man. So what does this passage of Scripture tell me about mankind? How does God see man, both as sinful and cherished? Third question, because God is God and he has a purpose for man, how does God tell me I need to see myself from the scriptures based on who he is and who man is? And then finally, after you've done that, you come to, is there anything God might want me to do other than just celebrate knowing him? celebrate the fact that I know how to pray for my lost friends because he just told me how messed up they are and how messed up I am. And just celebrate that he's changed me. Is there anything he might want me to do? See, you've taught it. You've been taught to almost do it backwards. You read the scripture for what God wants you to do so that you can have a better life, so that you can tell other people to have a better life. And in the end, we'll get to know God. That is not biblical Christianity. It is the furthest thing from it. Don't do it. God desires to know you. And Peter says it right here. There's people that will twist it. And then he says, therefore, dear friends. Friends, that's arm in arm. Friends, not therefore you guys. Like dear friends, he says, since you know this in advance, be on your guard. You know that there's going to be pressure. You know there's going to be false teachers. You know the Bible warns, but he says, so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability. There are a bunch of people running around saying that the law of God is done. It's the Old Testament's over, burn it, we just need the New Testament. Old Testament's over, no law. Do you realize how beautiful the law of the Old Testament is? One of my favorite books of the Bible, I was explaining this to some students yesterday, at the, or, uh, Friday at the activity, no, it was yesterday, sorry, I get my days mixed up. Yesterday at the, at the Faith Fest. My favorite, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Leviticus. Leviticus. You ever read Leviticus? Yeah, all of you are like, what? That's his favorite book? Man, you're weird. It's beautiful. All of the laws in Leviticus are laws that the nations around the Israelites didn't practice. God so loved the world that he gave his word, his son, his word in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. I was talking this morning with another student. 
Where did coronavirus come from that's like caused COVID and we've been in a mess? Where, where, where do they, I'm not talking about all this conspiracy theory stuff. Where do, what animal do we think it probably came from? Bats. The Old Testament says bats are unclean animals. Don't touch them, don't eat them, don't be around them. Now, if you eat a bat, are you going to go to hell? No, because in the New Testament, Paul, Peter saw a sheet come down out of heaven because he was struggling whether he should go eat at a Gentile's house who might serve him bat. And God's like, look, everything's made clean. You can eat it, just, you know, probably not make it a regular part of your diet. But if you go to a Gentile's house, you're not doing anything illegal or terrible. Like, I've forgiven that. It's not about trying to keep yourself all clean. But that still doesn't mean that not eating bats and playing with them is a good idea. Because if we would have said, wow, you know, God's laws are kind of, we should probably, before we just throw them out, think about them a little bit, we wouldn't be playing with bat viruses. And there's a ton of other laws, like how women are to be treated. I mean, that are beautiful in that. I mean, it's like, now there's some that are hard to understand, like Paul. Like, why can't we boil a baby goat in its mother's milk? I don't, I don't know that one. Scholars have argued they don't know why. Was that like an idolatry thing? Like there was a religion that was boiling baby goats in the milk? I don't know. That's a hard one. We don't know. But there are some that are beautiful. That these laws are not there to be like, well, that's stupid. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. You should look and say, no, if God loves me, if he loved his people, he gave this law for a reason. And it's not to make me more righteous or better than anybody else. Let me ask you, if you eat bacon, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of your life, how's that going to turn out for you around age 40 or 50? Yeah, yeah heart disease. You're going to be in trouble. God said what? Pigs are unclean. Now, can we eat them? I have sausage links every Wednesday morning. Love them. But you better be careful how much. And pigs are one of the most polluting animals on the face of the planet when it comes to our water and what we drink. See, God's kind of smart about, hey, maybe you should do it this way. And we're like, nah, we'll do it our way. Well, okay. Well, then you'll have like swine flu jump from pigs right to people. So when Peter writes and he says, look, be on your guard so that you don't lose the stability of the word of God, that you understand why it's there. That No, that doesn't save you. You're not more righteous. It's been made clean under Jesus, but understand that that doesn't mean it was a bad law. It was a good law. There's good behind it. Understand why. And then don't run around and be like, oh, you eat pork. I hate you. No. Like, you can look at it and be like, oh, you eat a lot of pork, you might want to consider heart disease. I, I love you enough to tell you that. Just glad we're friends. He goes on, Peter says, and he says, but grow. If you really want to avoid being made unstable and going off on your own, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of who? Yahweh, who is the Messiah, or Yahweh, who is Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. If you really want to grow and understand grace, it's grace and truth. It's not just all grace. It's not all truth. It's grace and truth. The ability to say, I know that God has saved me. I can't save myself. And I desire to obey him and understand who he is because his truth is so wonderful in a world full of lies. That's the beauty of what Peter writes like Paul writes. One of the things we say at foot of the cross is go, no, show, grow. That the first command that God gives his people is go, leave, come with me, 
Follow me, Jesus says. It's go. The second is as we're going, he says, I'm going to let you know who I am. You're going to grow in your knowledge of me with the people that you're going with. And then he says, as we do this, I'm going to show you and show the world how great I am. The last thing is grow. See, most of you are so consumed with wanting to grow that you skip the first three, and that's why you're not growing. And that's exactly where Paul goes in his letter. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. He says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Yahweh, who is Yahweh, who saves, who is Jesus. The Father of mercies and the God of all paraclesis, comfort. The God of all coming alongside. He comforts us. He comes alongside of us in our pressure, in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we ourselves, oh, sorry, let's stop there. He comforts us in our affliction, okay? You have affliction. God says, I want to personally comfort you. It's not like general comfort. No, I really personally want to like help you and walk with you and hear from you. And like it's a personal relationship, he says. And he says, God desires this. He desires to come alongside you, but it's not just for you. He goes on to say, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of pressure. See, the only thing you can do on this side of eternity that you can't do better in heaven is evangelism because there's no evangelism in heaven. When you get to heaven, no one needs to know about Jesus anymore because they all know about Jesus. You're going to do fellowship better in heaven because you're going to be rid of your selfishness and the other person is too. You're going to do worship way better in heaven. I mean, if you've read about it, it's amazing. It kind of makes ours look really bad no matter how good it is, no matter how many lasers. We're like, give me a break, man. We have like crazy creatures flying around singing and we're going to be like, wow, like we can't compete. Disney can't compete. Right? I mean, everything the Bible says that we're to do as believers, we're going to do better in heaven. The only thing we can't do in heaven is tell people about how they can be delivered from the pressure of this life and the pressure of eternity and heaven and hell that awaits. And then he says, through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In other words, I'm not receiving this comfort. It's not, I have faith in my comfort. I have comfort in my own comfort. It's no, 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 no. God gives you comfort. See, we love to find ways to make ourselves comfortable. We're really good at that as Americans. We're really good at it. And God says, you can try all that stuff, but in the end, you're still just going to have to deal with me. Because in the end, you're going to get old, you're going to get sick, there's going to be problems, and all of those solutions you have aren't going to work. And then he says, look at this. He goes on and he says, for the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. So through Christ our comfort overflows. This is critical to understand. There are so many people who tell me, I don't know if I know God, I doubt. I, 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 he feels distant. Most of the time, the reason God feels that way is because you're unwilling to suffer through things with him. You keep running. You run from the one who wants to comfort you through it. And then you say, where's God? And he's like, far, like, I'm over here. You're supposed to be here. You went there. Hello. Come to me. You see, you, you don't know comfort if you're not willing to suffer. You got that? And 
And you won't understand suffering if you don't understand biblical comfort in God. Jesus died on a cross and said, pick up your cross. Because he recognized that you live in a world that doesn't like this message. You live in a world where everyone is telling you it's all about you. It's all about your works. It's all about you doing stuff. And Christianity is the one that says, nope. It's about you being with God and God doing it through you. It's a radically different message than Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Confucianism, Taoism, any other ism you want. It's different. Radically different. Anybody who tells you otherwise does not know what they're talking about. I'm telling you. And then it goes on and he says, so we have to be willing to suffer instead of running from it. We need to walk through it. Now, if you're like trying to beat yourself and suffer and saying, God, comfort me. Well, then that's not real faith. That's you in your own works trying to prove something. That's not going to work. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people are like, I'm going to suffer for God. And then he's going to do something in my life. And God's like, why? I want to comfort you. And yes, there's suffering, but why are you trying to suffer? Like, there's plenty of that if you just walk with me. It's going to come. You'll have it, I promise. Right? And so, again, Paul knows that this church is wrestling with walking with God in this pagan, wicked culture, a culture that all their universities don't talk about God, a culture that doesn't care about the God of the Bible. They persecute Jews. Now they're persecuting Christians. It's the Roman Empire. It's a mess. He knows that. And so he's like, look, you don't get out of the sufferings. Everybody suffers in life. I say it all the time. Tell me how many people you know who die healthy, strong, wealthy, and fully at peace in their sleep. At like 95. Like they're 95 years old, they're just strong as they were, and they're full, you know, and then they just go to sleep one day and they don't wake up. It's like nobody. Most people die horrible deaths, cancer and illness, and they get in a car accident and it, they cut you open, and it's awful. Because that's our world. Thankfully, Christianity tells us, yep, that's our world. Thankfully, we have a God that said, I understand that, which is why I went through it. I went to the cross to show you there's no other way. Now you have a choice. Embrace some other way that's going to lead you on the other side to something not true or embrace the God of the Bible. Look at what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another paraclete, comforter, counselor. That's the word there. It's the same root word that Paul uses for comfort. He will, I, I will actually send a supernatural comforter to your life. Not the one you brought to college to put on your bed. That is not supernatural. Even if it's a weighted one and you're like about 35 pounds on your weighted blanket, that is not supernatural. It's just a weighted blanket. Okay? We're talking about a real comforter who comes and he's like, I'm going to be with you forever. It's not temporary. And then he says, he is the spirit of truth. In other words, the way God comforts us the most is he leads us to the truth about situations and tells us straight up, there is no greater comfort than someone you know you can go to that will tell you the truth. That's why you go to grandma and grandpa a lot of times when things are really bad. Because you know grandma and grandpa are just gonna give you truth. Just, here it is. I love you. Here's some cookies. Stop it. Right? It's grandma and grandpa for a lot of people. They're straight up. Not always, but a lot of times. The Holy Spirit is that comforter that leads us to this. This is our comfort. If you don't know this, I promise you, you will not be comforted. You will be miserable if you don't know this book. 
Our passion here is to preach through the Bible. We do it regularly. In 14, 15 years, I will have preached every verse of the Scripture through the entire Bible for our church. Myself and a few others of us in this room. We are committed to going through the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, walking people through it. Because my words don't mean anything. My stories are, yeah, lame. These stories, this word, amazing. And so we camp in, you don't see a bunch of points from me. My points are the word. Look what it says. He goes back and he says, the world is unable to receive this spirit because it doesn't see him or know him. You got to know Jesus if you're going to have the spirit. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, it's scary to think about the spirit being in you. Why? In the Old Testament, if you went into the temple and you were unclean, you just died. You just fell over dead. In the New Testament, two people lied about their finances. And the first two people that die in the Bible, they lied about their finances. They came in to talk to Peter and they literally fell over dead because they lied about their finances. Boy, I'm glad God doesn't do that right now for most of us. He's a little more patient. But at that time, he's like, not being patient with this. Killed them both. He looks and he says, look, I will not leave you as orphans. You are not alone. I have provided you a family. I have provided you the church. I have provided you my Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and he says, I am coming to you, Jesus says. Like, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send something better than just me physically walking around the earth. Because me physically walking around the earth, I'm only going to be in one place at one time. But if I go back out of time and space, like God can do, and send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the revelation to all men. Then he says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the paraclete the counselor, the one coming alongside me and coming alongside you, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit never glorifies the Holy Spirit. Write that down. Remember it. Anytime you go someplace and it's all about the Spirit, baloney. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the Spirit always glorifies him. And Jesus always glorifies the Father. It's the way the Trinity works. Throughout all of history, if the Holy Spirit is not lifting Jesus high, telling about Jesus instead of glorifying itself, then you can know that there's a false teaching going on. Because the Holy Spirit always puts Jesus on display. Every time. Now, does that mean that the Spirit doesn't give us gifts and do things? Yes, it can But it's always for the purpose of not showing itself off, not showing the third person of the Trinity off, but pointing to Jesus. And then Jesus gets pointed to by the Holy Spirit, and he goes, the Father. And then the Father says, no, the Son. And then Jesus says, oh, the Holy Spirit. And they're one all the time glorifying one another in the Godhead. It's just like praise back and forth the whole time. All the time. Oh, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. Oh, it's awesome. Like, that's literally what happens all the time in heaven. Then he goes on and he says, look at this. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. He'll teach you all things and he'll remind you of everything that you've been told about Jesus. And you're like, but I don't want to be reminded. I kind of want to forget right now because there's a lot of fun things to do. So I don't want to be reminded. I I just forget about Jesus. No. He's going to remind you. 
You're going to feel that conviction that the world doesn't have. You're going to look at people and go, how can they do that? And you go, oh, because they don't know Jesus. Oh, because they don't understand there's a heavenly father that loves them. Oh, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's why they do it. Man, I really don't want them to do that. And I don't want to do it either. Maybe I should tell them about Jesus. He goes on and says this. Galatians, another letter Paul writes, he says, I tell you about these things in advance, just as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He has a whole list of things that are just wicked. And then he says, but the fruit of the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the fruit of the spirit who comes alongside you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things or um, against such things, there is no law. You can do as much of this as you want. You can be as loving as you want. You can be as peaceful as you want. You can be as kind as you want. Like you can have as much self-control as you want to have. Isn't it great? We're like, what? I don't want those things. I want the things that were in the list before. <laughs> then he goes on. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. So you're going to have a choice in college whether you want to follow IU's plan, your parents' plan, whatever plan, or whether you truly want to follow the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you'll be able to tell whether you're following the plan very easily because you'll be able to look at this and say, okay, go, no, show, grow is the natural byproduct of doing the first three things. It's the natural byproduct. You'll start seeing the love of God come out of you. You'll start seeing the patience and the joy and the peace of God come out of you in a new way if you walk with him. It's guaranteed right here. Paul says you can tell the difference between the flesh and the spirit by what's coming out of you. Now, you may say, you know, well, those Christians aren't loving. Listen, love by our normal definition today is not the definition that God has. God is a God of love and his love is very jealous and wrathful when you mess with his beloved. Like, We've got to balance this idea, this definition of love. Oh, they're just so loving. They just roll over and play dead. No, it is not loving. If my wife was being raped and I was like, well, I just really love your rapist, so I'm going to stand here right now. You all would be like, that's wicked. But if I pointed you and said, oh, I didn't want to judge him. The Bible says to love him, so I was just loving him. But we treat a lot of other issues that way. And we love to judge people and, oh, that's not loving. That's... Be careful. Make sure you have God's definition of these words and he will teach you what those definitions are if you read his word. He'll show you his love. He'll show you his joy, not worldly, temporary happiness. He'll show you self-control and not a self-righteous self-control of like, look at me, I'm better than everybody else, but a man, God, just control me some more. I give you more of my life. He goes on to say this. If we are afflicted, Paul says, it is for your comfort and salvation. See, the reason God puts you under pressure, in other words, when I came to know Jesus at 18 years old, my freshman year at Ball State University in Train Hall, Dehority Complex, the reason God didn't suck me up into heaven right then, because it would have been a lot better for me the last several years had I been in heaven. I mean, it just would have been. The reason he did not just go and suck me up into heaven is because he wanted me to show others his comfort and his salvation. It's the only reason he keeps you here. That's it. There's no other reason. If you know Jesus, 
You will do everything better and it'll be much better to be in heaven with him than here. But the reason he keeps you, he's like, okay, I'm giving you full confidence that if you know me, you're my child. I love you. I've given you my word. You got all the marching orders. Now go. Go do something. And I'm going to be with you. That's why you got sent to college. Your parents are like, go. We've spent 18 years. It's your, like, see ya. (laughs) We love you. You don't need to stay under a, he goes on, look at this. He says, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Those same pressures. Paul's like, everybody goes through them. Everybody has them. And then he says, and our hope for you is firm because we know that you share in the sufferings so you will share in the comfort. It's that dual nature. The willingness to go through the pressure and God to be there with you and you to see him through it. It's why you need a local church. If, If our church, if you come today and you're new and this is not the church for you, please talk to one of our staff. We will give you the names of other great churches in Bloomington for you to be a part of. I am that committed to you finding a local body of believers because you're going to need it. And campus ministries are great. I was on staff with a campus ministry for a long time. It was a campus ministry that brought me to faith. But it is temporary. The local church is the rest of your life. Campus ministry is like four years. And then it's gone. You need both. Find a local church to be a part of, like Paul's writing this letter to. And then he says, our hope for you is firm. And then he says, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. You are going to be here in college at some point, I promise. Maybe midterms, maybe finals, maybe your internship, (laughs) I don't know, but at some point, you are going to be in a place, and he says, look, I don't want you to be unaware that it's normal to have this experience. It's normal to literally despair of life. The reason I came to faith in October is because I fell on my knees in my dorm room and cried out to God and said, I'm done. I wanted to kill myself and take my life, but my, one of my best friends from high school killed himself the year earlier. I saw what it did to his family, and out of some miraculous moment, I'm like, I can't do that to people who love me. I fell on my knees, and I said, God, if you exist, help me. And the phone rang 30 minutes later and it was a student involved in a campus ministry. Hey, you filled out some flyer when you went to some event. I filled out all kinds of flyers for t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. And he said, I was just calling you to see if you might want to talk about spiritual things. And I'm like, yes, right now. And he was like, uh, I'm not even on campus. I'm like, okay, tomorrow at noon. He's like, uh, okay, and then hung up the phone. You never get that response typically from people when you call them, you know, do you want to talk about spiritual things? Like, no, but I was ready. Then he calls me back. He's like, sorry, I have class at noon. Can we meet at two? I just, you had me so flustered. I just never get this kind of conversation. Yes, click. Like God will show up in your affliction. He wants You to know that there will be times when it's beyond your strength. You will despair of life, but that's why Jesus gave his life, to show you that in his despair, you can trust him. And then he gave you a resurrection to show you it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And then he says, indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. We just wanted to die. It was so hard in Asia. So that we would not trust 
in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. I love that. Paul says the reason you're going to go through these pressures, the reason God is doing this, the reason is because he is trying to get you to stop trusting in your own head. Get out of your own head and trust him and trust his ability to resurrect your life and do something you thought was not possible. It's right there. It's beautiful. Then he goes on and acts. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? In other words, are you going to fix everything? Is it going to be comfortable now? I mean, you've resurrected from the dead. You've come back. Now it's going to all be great, right? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be with my power, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason God gives you the Holy Spirit and the reason he hasn't sucked you up into heaven is because, man, he wants to use you around the world to tell people about how great God is. And you want to know the greatest parts about being at IU? The world is here. How many nations, hundreds of nations on our campus? They're here. All these people groups we pray for, we can't go to their country and reach them, but they're here. We can tell them, we can live out our life for them, like Paul was living out his life in Asia, risking it, we can at least take the risk to walk up to someone and say hello and have a conversation. He goes on to say, he has delivered us from such a terrible death, that spiritual death, and he will deliver us. Paul's like, and he will. Don't you doubt it. Don't you think you lost your salvation? Don't even think about it. If you know Christ, if you've trusted him, if you have prayed, he has you. You are his child. Don't let the enemy tell you different. And then he says, we have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. We're in a temporary season. It's rough. It's hard. We have these pressures and the afflictions. But if you walk with God long enough, just like this book, you see his deliverance over and over again. Well, he got me through that freshman year. He got me through sophomore year. He goes on and he says, then many, look at this. He says, while you join in helping us by your prayers. He's like, we're not even expecting you to give us money. We just, we just want you to pray for us. Seek God for us. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many, he says. One of the greatest spiritual warfare tools you have. The word of God and prayer. And can I just tell you something? I'm not very good at prayer. I'm really bad at it. But you want to know how I've gotten good at prayer? By praying this book back to him. That it's not my words parroting what I want, what I think. It's me reading the word and going, okay, if this is who God is, if this is who man is, if this is who he says I am, then I'm going to take some time to pray. And thank God for who he is. Thank, pray for people I know. Thank God for what he's done in my life and what he needs to correct and repent. And man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do what he wants me to do. Pray the word back to God. It's very simple. And it'll make your prayers feel a lot more meaningful. And then he goes on and he says this. For this is our confidence. What's your confidence this morning? You're going to have pressure. You're going to have affliction. There's going to come a place where all our world talks about what? You ready for what our world talks about? You need to have self-esteem, self-confidence. <laughs> That's going to fail you miserably because you're going to wake up one day and be like, I'm a moron. And you are. And so am I. And your, your self-esteem is not going to last very long. 
You need God's esteem. And he wants to give it to you. And he says, for, our, for this is our confidence. Our confidence is the testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom, but by God's grace. Paul says, my confidence has grown and continues to grow because I'm not about myself. I'm about you. I'm about giving my life for others. I'm about serving. I'm about knowing Jesus. And my security and my purity aren't found in I'm so secure and pure. It's like God is so secure and pure. I want him, Paul says. See, it's not fleshly wisdom. See, all the wisdom you're getting in college, you need to kind of be careful. You need to kind of reinterpret that on biblical wisdom. And if you don't know this book, you're going to get all twisted up. God has some really great things to say in here about the environment. Some really great things. Genius things. You've probably never been taught them. There's some things you're being taught about the environment that are total lies according to this book. Like overpopulation. God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And we're told, oh, don't have any too many kids. Use too many resources. I, I think I'm going to trust the Lord. Because I think he wants to bring souls into the world. And I think he loves people. So no, I'm not going to listen to you and your overpopulation, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to believe God because he says that children are a gift from the Lord. And he says there is no greater joy than to watch your children grow spiritually in him. There is no greater joy. And I have experienced that. And if I had 10 more kids, man, how much more joy would I have? So let's believe what God says and trust him. You know, they thought the world was going to starve out in the 70s. And then we started discovering genetic things about food and how we can grow food differently and how we can not grow it the way they were in the Great Depression where the Great Dust Bowl happened because they didn't think about how to do farming the way God said to do farming. You realize that the Dust Bowl would have never happened had they farmed like God said to farm. Because God said the land had to lay barren. He said, this is what you're to do. He gave commands for how it was supposed to be done. And they're like, no, we're going to plow everything. Well, it didn't work too well. We keep ignoring what God says at our own peril. And God says, I want you to have my wisdom, not just the fleshly wisdom. And then he says, now, Paul says, we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. Is there anything I've told you this morning that you can't read on your own? I mean, goodness sakes, we got the internet. You've got more available resources. Used to, pastors had to take sabbaticals for like six to eight weeks to go to a library in a like monastery so they could learn the scriptures to bring back to their people. Now, pastors today take six to eight week sabbaticals to go to the Holy Land and travel and have a vacation. Because they're tired. You're supposed to be tired. You're a pastor. Like we have all the resources in the world to, to understand. We're just lazy. We want an earthly comfort instead of a godly comfort. Man, I love the word of God. I love to read. I love to study. I love to try to take the information that's given to me and say, okay, God, what do you have to say about this? And then he says, look at this. I hope you will understand completely as you have partially understood us. Paul's like, you're not quite there yet. I wrote my first letter and you understood what I wrote in my first letter. They listened to him. They repented. We'll talk about that later. But you partially, like there's still some more work to be done in you, he says. And that we are your reason for pride as you are ours. It's the Holy Spirit 
Father says, great job, son, son, spirit, spirit, back to Jesus. It's the same way. Paul's saying, you guys are great. And they're saying, oh, Paul, we love you. It's like, that's the way it's supposed to work. For the praise of who? Jesus. In the day of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Let me ask you, what are you searching for in your comfort? What are you trying to find comfort in? A great education, money, wealth, a title, a family status? Do you go to a big university? Look at what Paul, or what Jesus says. He says, why were you searching me his, to his parents? He's 12 years old at this time. And he says, why were you searching for me, mom and dad? Because this is one of the funniest stories. They lost the son of God. Ha! Like, you think your parents left you somewhere. They, they literally lost Jesus for three days. Expl like, sorry, God, Father, we don't know where your son is. We lost him. It's a hilarious story. They find him, and they were searching all over the city. They didn't go to the temple to look for him. Where did you think Jesus was going to be, mom and dad? Like his mom and dad are like, oh, he must be in a gutter. He must be, it's the worst thing in the world. And it's like, I'm, I'm at church. I'm in the temple. You're where? I can't believe that. Well, I'm the son of God. You probably should have checked here first. Then it goes on. It says, why were you searching for me? He asked them. He's even asking his parents. Why do you want to find me so bad? Because you're embarrassed? You're afraid of what God the Father is going to do to you? Or do you believe that I am who I say I am, even at 12 years old? And then he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? What, did you think I was like disobeying you to go party? I was disobeying you so that I could be with my father. And he really didn't disobey. They literally just forgot to check. He was in the temple, part, like praising God, having a great time. And the whole family left to travel back to Jerusalem. And three days in, and a, a couple of days in, they're like, has anybody seen Jesus? I don't know. Have you seen Jesus? I haven't seen Jesus. He's still in Jerusalem. <laughs> And they had to go back and find him. And he's like, well, you didn't tell me to leave, so I just stayed here. Oh, it's time to leave now? Okay, and that's exactly what he does. Then, they went, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. He obeyed his parents. The God of the universe listened to these yahoos who lost him. He was willing to obey them. Wow. That is not my heart. I was ready to get out and not obey my parents as quick as I could. And Jesus is like, yeah, they want me to stay here because they think I'm awesome and they want me to train me as a Pharisee because I'm so smart because that's what they said right before this. But I'll go back and obey you guys and become a carpenter or a construction worker. And then he says, look at this. Because he did that, his mother kept all these things in her heart. If you want to bring joy to your mother and father who raised you, in the church and raised you to know Jesus. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Walk with him. There'll be no greater joy than you can give your mom and dad, your grandparents, whoever it was in your life who poured into you. And then he says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If that's what you're looking for in college, God wants to give it to you. First Corinthians wrapped up and it says this, I planned with this confidence to come to you first so you could have a double benefit and to go on to Macedonia with your help, then come to you again from Macedonia, be given a start by you on my journey to Judea. So when I planned this, was I irresponsible? In other words, he said, I had a plan going in. I planned in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit changed my plans. Paul's like, I'm not a liar. I, he wants us to plan. He wants us to trust him. But we got to, when he puts his arm around us and says, yeah, that was your plan. Let's go this way now. I got to listen. He goes, was I irresponsible to do that? Paul's like, no, I planned in the power of the Holy Spirit and then God led me a different direction. And then he says, look at this. He says, 
Or what I plan, do I plan in a purely a human way so that yes is yes and no is no simultaneously, that I'm a liar? As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. We're not lying. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanius and Timothy, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, he was a final yes that has come in through the Holy Spirit, his people. God may change your paths. You may think, God wants me to do this, and then he changes the path you're on. God wasn't lying to you. He's teaching you to trust him. And the best way to teach you to trust him is to get you a gopher away for a while and then say, hey, would you, would you change? No. Why not? I'm God. Let's go this way. And he may ask some of you to do the same. And then he wraps up, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. You have promises that you've been taught to claim that may not be the promises of God. Be careful. But God has promises, and he says every one of his promises will come true. Therefore, the amen is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. Now it is God who strengthens us with you in Christ and has anointed us. He has also sealed us and given us the spirit as a down payment in our hearts. God has already made the down payment for your education. It's paid for. He wants to educate you spiritually over the next several years. For those of us who aren't college students, he wants to continue to educate us in whatever we're going through the next several years. He wants to keep educating us. And he doesn't say, you go do it. He says, no, 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 I've sealed you and I've put my spirit in you so I can paraclesis. I can walk alongside you through the pressure, through the affliction, and you can trust me that there's a life to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people that are here. Lord, I thank you for your word that just teaches us so clearly and beautifully. I don't have to add a bunch of fun stories. and st It's right there that Paul has the ultimate story and Timothy and this church has a story of what you did in them that we can trust you to do. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never crossed that line with you like I did in October of my freshman year and finally put a stake in the ground and said, I'm done. I surrender. I just want this God. I want this comfort. I want, I want this help. Father, if that's where they are, I pray today they would just say, Jesus, you are the Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah of the world. And that they would look at you and say, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I've got nothing to offer you, God. But I want you. I ask for your forgiveness. And if they ask that, you promise that you will come into them and make your home. You just promised in, through Paul that the Holy Spirit will come into them and give them the power to live this out. And Lord, I pray that if they prayed that prayer, if they've asked you to come in and surrender, I pray they would tell somebody because that's the testimony we have to tell. Just like when I prayed the prayer, I called all my friends. I went back home and told all my friends what happened in my life. I pray that we would be that excited about what you've done. And for those of us who are believers, this letter was written to us. Paul's not writing to people who don't know God. He's writing to believers. I pray we would take Paul's words to heart, that we would believe that you are who you say you are, that we want to love you and walk with you and know you more deeply, we pray in your name.